I kind of felt like really scared, you know, I was like scared. I was like, am I not going to finish this? I was on Good Day LA. There's a huge fundraiser. There's at least like, I don't know, hundreds of people, maybe a thousand people following me live because I had a live beacon on me, right? Am I going to like not finish this and am I going to quit? Episode 55, what do you know? Another runner. That's my third one. This one was crazy. 100 miles in 36 hours. Remember that 100 mile thing that I did for the month of March? I did that for the entire month of March. This guy did it for 36 hours. I did mine in 30 days. This stuff just blows my mind. Running blows my mind. It's so amazing, so therapeutic. For me, it's hard because I've got shin splints, so I can't run consistently. I try to run as much as I can. So when I hear these stories of runners, I get it. I know what it's like. I know how good that feels. This one was cool. Dr. Ed Samurgeon was featured on Good Day LA here locally on Fox 11 with Araxia. And the reason for his run was because he's kind of built himself to get there, one. And two, he did this for the kids in Armenia and raised a ton of money doing it. It's an incredible story. He's an incredible guy. He's a vascular surgeon. We're going to get into that when we start this episode right now. We're going to talk about uh, what he was doing through COVID and how he was saving lives. Uh, Incredible story. Incredible guy. So let's get to it. Dr. Edward Samurgeon, vascular surgeon, 100 miles in 36 hours. Episode 55. Here we go. Dr. Ed. How are you? (laughs) Hey, do you ever use that like when you make a reservation for a restaurant? Never. I would never do that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Can I do it on your behalf? I feel like that'd be like such an amazing perk, man. Dr. Ed, right this way? No? Yeah, I try to actually keep that pretty anonymous. It's just, but you you know what's fascinating? Some people can just tell. I don't know why. Mm. It's weird. Dude, I would so use that. So, uh, doctor, you're a vascular surgeon, right? And you were like on the front lines when this when COVID broke out at the peak of COVID, correct? Uh, yes, that is true. I'm a vascular surgeon, and so I do I deal with you know all sorts of patients, all walks of life, young, old, that have specifically vascular surgical problems or vascular problems or blood vessel problems. And how often are you doing these surgeries, like on a monthly basis? I do surgeries every day. Um, wow. for t- yeah, I do surgery basically. It depends. You know, some, some days I, d- I have clinic all day. Uh, some days I'll do a surgery after clinic. But then I have specific days that I'm dedicated to doing surgery, you know, the entire day. When you're referring to, like, the pandemic and the front line, when the pandemic happened and, and started back in, you know, really hit hard in March 2020, my whole practice kind of changed, you know, more focusing on more critical care patients versus like my elective stuff you know it was a it was a huge change you know so to speak (laughs) and and how many of those covid patients were you working on like were most of them then covid patients so i work in about three separate hospitals so um verdugo hills uh glendale ventist and saint joe's and uh, a couple of their smaller hospitals but those are the big three that i work in and initially the census of covid patients were like one two 
four, eight. And then as, as the month progressed, we got up to like 20, 30, 40. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a 400, 500 bed hospital. And at one point we were up to like 250 COVID patients in the hospital, right? So every time I got a consultation on a patient, it, it was a COVID patient that had some specific problem that may be associated with COVID or not associated with COVID, but they needed a vascular surgeon. It was an interesting transition because we had never dealt with this sort of disease before to this extreme. And we didn't know, you know, how risky was it to go inside of a patient's room with COVID? And I mean, how expensive of a of PPE should you wear, right? Like personal protective equipment. And so in the beginning, I'm like, oh my God, like I'm wearing the, the mask, you know, the, the N95 mask where, you know, you, basically you can't even breathe when you wear it, right? And then we would go in the room with like oxygen tanks and these massive get-ups, you know, it would take me like 20 minutes to get dressed to go into a COVID room. You You're know? like, am I going in a hospital room or am I going to, mo- uh, to the moon? Exactly. <laughs> am I an <laughs> I astronaut picture, or? <laughs> yeah. I have a picture that literally looks like an astronaut suit going into one of these rooms. But, and then as, as time went by, you go in so many COVID patients' rooms, sometimes, you know, like you're rushed and whatever, and you maybe your PP is, isn't as perfect. You know, and then as time went by, your PPE, you know, I still wear an N95 mask, but maybe I don't wear the whole getup every time, you know? It, it was a huge learning process, and it, it evolved along the way. I was seeing the really critically ill ones that were, like, on a ventilator that needed something much more, like, high intensity from a, from a medical standpoint, yeah. That's sad, man. Did you pick up COVID throughout any of that? So the COVID really hit, like, late February, right? So, of 2020. And I worked... Every single day of the pandemic, every single day of the pandemic. And I went in hundreds of hundreds of COVID rooms. And I mean, I wore a PP, I wore my PP, I wore a mask every single time. I wore an N95 and I never contracted COVID. And, and I actually went to like a birthday party, you know, not like in, in that time, maybe a few months later, I was very cautious. I wore a mask and somebody actually had COVID at that party and I didn't get COVID. And it was a, it was a very unfortunate incident. And it was probably not a good idea to have gone to that birthday party, but I went and it ended up not, ha- I ne- never got COVID. And then along the way, I went to all these different, you know, I, I went to, you know, all these different patients rooms that had COVID and I never got it. And then I also uh, had a baby in, um, in April, at the end of April, my wife had a baby, you know, we, we were in the hospital and I, we were at the peak of the pandemic of the first wave. And we were in the hospital at that whole time and I never got it. So then what happened was, I actually checked my titers along the way, you know, like my antibody titers for COVID. Because I got tested for COVID at least 11 times along the way, and I never had a positive test. You said 250 patients was kind of the peak at the hospital. What is that number at today? Oh, like zero. Yeah, I thought so. Zero. Like, I think I think our, our mo- the most recent report I saw at my hospital was zero. And I think maybe one or two, but... It's completely way, way down. You're a runner. You're a big runner. You've got a lot of passion for running. And I believe that you run every day, but you said you were working every day. So how did you fit in the running? Yeah, so that's a that's an excellent question. And I'm excited you're asking me that question because uh, that's like part of the whole process of what, when you're going through something in life that's like challenging, could be anything challenging. I truly believe like, Physical activity, any kind of physical activity is an incredible therapeutic device, meaning like it helps you cope with 
whatever stressor you're going through in your life. And so when people say to me like, oh, you know, I'm not feeling well or I'm going through something, my answer all the time is do some exercise, right? Do some physical activity. Get your heart rate up to like 110, 120. Like go out there, beat your body up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so so I am a runner. Yes, I am a runner. And I'm a very – I like to run a lot. I've always liked to run my whole life. And I'm a vascular surgeon. I work as a doctor all the time. So, But the thing is I always try to find time to run because I love running. I've been running since I was little – like since I was in high school. I ran track and I – and then I, you know, always did some jogging and exercise, you know, throughout college and then so on. So, so I always find time to run. And so the thing about running is that I look at it like brushing your teeth or showering, right? Like, you know, imagine you said like, you know, you take it, I don't know how long your shower is, right? You say like, oh, I don't have time to shower, right? You're like, you always have time to shower, right? I mean, you always have time to brush your teeth. You always have time to go to the bathroom. So I literally look at running uh, like that, right? So I look at it like I have to get my, get some kind of physical activity in at least minimum two to three days a week, minimum, right? But prior to the pandemic, my wife and I agreed that I was going to run a race in April, of 2021. Okay. Now I want you to imagine I signed up for this race two years prior. Okay. Actually I signed up for the race for April, 2020, but because of the pandemic, it got canceled and I had signed up for that race. So it got kicked all the way down to April, 2021. So basically I was like, even though if the race exists, if they still run the race, I'm going to run it. So it got canceled in April, 2020. So I carried on with my training, light training throughout the pandemic, meaning like, and I'll explain what light training means. But then once six months prior to the race, April 2021, I really kicked in my training hard. Yeah. Okay. But wait, the the race, this race you're talking about is the one in Utah in Zion? That's it. Yeah. The okay. one in Utah. Okay. So I'm fascinated by runners. You're actually my third guest that has... <laughs> Dude, it's crazy how I attract I all these. Back, I actually went back and listened to your your a few of your podcasts, especially those two podcasts. So, yeah, and I'm so honored and excited that you would want me. You called me out and you contacted me totally spontaneously and said, "Hey, I want you to be on my podcast." This is like very exciting for me. To, uh, that's cool, to man. Be on a podcast and you you know, pursued me like this. So I'm very happy. So. Uh, I'm happy you're here. And I know how pumped you are about podcasts and how passionate you are because you're a big Joe Rogan guy and you, and you listen to his <laughs> podcast all the time. I mean, I think you listen to his, like how many times did, did you get sick of it? Well, let, let's, we'll, we'll get to that, but I want to, I want to lead this up to like your, your why, why, why did you decide to run 36 straight hours morning and night for an entire weekend, essentially, what was your why? Why did you want to do this? Sure. So I was always a runner in college, but a sprinter. I, I, I went to UC Irvine and I was a 400 meter dash sprinter. And then years later, like I was in CrossFit and I was like, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I wasn't too excited about CrossFit. And then I watched this documentary about this runner named Dean Carnassus. And he's an ultramarathon runner and he runs these distances beyond the marathon. And so I was like, wait a minute, there's races beyond the marathon, like longer than 26.2. I was like, I thought the longest race was 26.2 miles. Right. So he's like beyond, I was like, this is fair. And then he wrote this thing where he he said like, Oh, I ran 250 miles nonstop on the PCH while my family followed me with a Winnebago. And they just kept, and he goes, I remember falling asleep while I was running, but I kept running. I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> oh my God. Wait a second. This dude ran 200 straight miles. Like he literally didn't slow down. He didn't jog. He didn't walk. No, he was like, I think, I, 
I think he stopped. I think he stopped a little bit here and there for like food and water, you know, but he, he went like on and on. Right. So, so, so I was like fascinated by this, right. I was totally enamored. I was like, wait a minute, this guy ran 200 miles. I was like, how is this possible? I was like, you know what? This is something I definitely need to do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so, so mind you, this is 2011. Okay. I'm a surgery, re- 2010, 2010. I'm 30 years old. I'm a surgery resident. I'm, I'm, so, 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 so when you go to medical school, when you graduate from medical school, you have to choose what kind of a doctor you want to become. So you have to go to residency. You, you could choose like, I want to be a psychiatrist. I want to be a surgeon. I want to be an internal medicine doctor. I want to be a pathologist, right? So you choose like your residency. So I chose to be a surgeon. So surgery residency is five years long. So I was living in Las Vegas at the time and I watched this documentary and I needed some form of exercise after my ridiculously long shift, right? I need like 12 hour, 24 hour, 36 hour shifts, right? So I was like, I need to do some kind of a physical activity. And I did, I did. So I, I'm going to do this ultra marathon running thing, right? Now, mind you, so I was a sprinter. I have never run more than like a mile and a half. Okay. So I went out, like I came home from work and I grew, I went out, I was like Las Vegas desert, right? I'm like, I'm going to go run, you know, go run, see what happens. So I ran a mile, one mile. I, I, I ran out of my apartment. I ran one mile. I didn't even make the mile. I ran like three quarters of a mile and I stopped running. I was like out of breath. I was like, oh my God, this really hurts. You know? <laughs> Wait, did you say Las Vegas desert? Yeah, like I lived in Las Vegas. Like Las okay. Vegas is like a very deserty climate. Got it. You, you were know, living like, there. Uh, you were living there. You went out of your apartment in Vegas. Got you. So I ran a mile and it was like, it was torture. I couldn't even finish the mile. So I was like, okay, you know, keep going. I progressively went two miles and then I did three miles. And, and I just kept running and then I kept like Googling like ultra marathon runners and, and like asking my friends who were runners a little bit more than me, running like two, three, four miles. So I, I kept running. I just ran like, and I, and I got to be honest with you, like I wasn't, that well informed on the topic of, of, of like doing long distance running, but I've always just been like, I'm going to do this no matter what, right. I'm going to push this as hard as I can do. And I, I do that kind of with everything. Around. I push hard. Right. So I kept running and I got up to five miles. Right? I did a five mile run. How long did home. that take you? Like, did it take you a couple months to get there? Yeah. It took me about like two, it took about three, four months to get there. Okay. So I got to five miles and I kept like doing four and a half miles and then like had to walk the last half a mile to get home. And I couldn't, couldn't do it. Right. And I was like, one of my, one of my bosses, or we call him attendings, my, uh, my attending general surgeon, he was a, he was an athlete and a runner. He's like, Ed, are you drinking water during your run? I'm like, water, what kind of a, why the hell would I drink water? What, What are you talking about? He goes, you're not drinking water during your, you're not taking a bottle with you. You live in Las Vegas. It's 90 degrees. You're running five miles without water. I'm like, no, I didn't. That's, is that, do I, should I take water with me? He goes, yes, go buy a water belt, wear it and drink water while you run. I was like, what a novel concept. <laughs> so I went and bought a water belt <laughs> and, and literally that next run, nine miles. I banged up nine miles. And he's like, okay. So then what happens is I gradually start like, adding to my experience. So, so that's just an example of like you, as you progress, you learn the story behind ultra running or running, right? You get a bottle and then you get a, a special kind of shoe or you get a sock, right? Like, you know, you learn the process, right? So, so basically I've been, I was running, you know, every day. And then I, then one day I was like, okay, I'm going to do a really long run. I did a 17 mile run, right? In, in, 
I finished the 17 mile run. I had like a, a runner's high and I was like, wow, this was incredible, you know, but I didn't drink enough water and I had cramps and I was like, le- like learning the process of like how to run longer, you know? And then basically like, you know, I just built my way up all the way to running my first ultra marathon in, I think it was 2012 or 20, 2011. I ran a, a 50 kilometer race. So I never ran a marathon. I never ran a 10 K. I just went straight to a 50 K, which was a 31 mile race. And I, and that was my first, first official race. And, uh, it, it was, and so I did it. It was, it was, it was very difficult and it was the greatest experience ever. And that was it. I was Are close. you running the whole time? In those marathons? Uh, no, you're you're not you're not running the whole time. So during an ultra marathon, it's a very well well it's a very very long distance. And so what happens is they have what's called aid stations, and you get to your aid stations and you stop and you get like water or electrolytes. And it depends on the length of the race and how long the race is, meaning like you know like thirty miles and so on. Whether you stop at the aid station and do a full on replenishment, or you just kind of run through the aid, you quickly grab water and you run through the aid station. So. My first race, there was there was like one aid station or two aid stations, so I didn't really stop at them, and I kept going. So can I tell you one thing that happened at that race? Sure. So I just want you to picture this. So it's like I'm 31 years old, okay? It's 4.30 in the morning. The race starts at, I think, 5.30. It's 4.30 in the morning. I'm, I'm parked out in the desert in my car, and I'm about to start this 31-mile race. It's my first race ever, Okay. I'm sitting out there. It's cold. I'm kind of shaking because it's cold, and I'm waiting to start the race. And and now this was a race festival, okay? It was a race festival. So meaning they had various distances, like half marathon, 31-mile, 50-mile, and then they even had a 100-mile race, 100-mile race. This is, this is in Vegas? Now the this is in Las Vegas. Okay. It was called the Labor of Love. That okay. was the name of the race, Labor of Love. Okay. So the 100-mile race had started the day before. So my race was Saturday morning. The, late, the, the 100 miles started on Friday at 5 a.m. So I'm sitting in my car waiting to start my race in about 30 minutes. And I'm sitting there and, and 100 mile runners are coming into the finish line. So they had been running for 24 hours and they're passing the finish line, right? Or 23 and a half hours, right? Because it's like 4.30 in the morning, right? And I'm waiting. And they had been running from 5 a.m. the previous day. And I'm looking at these people. I'm like, are they for real? They've been literally running for 24. They've been on their feet running for 24 hours where they take a little bit of break here and there. So this lady passes the finish line. Okay. She's 65 years old and she's wearing a tank top, a tube top where you could see her belly. And you could see she has like an old incision on her belly, which is called an exploratory laparotomy. Now I'm a, I'm a surgeon, right? At the time. So I, when, when I look at people, I look at their incisions, right? I could, I'm like, analyze. <laughs> You know, like whatever you do in your job, like whatever job you do, like if you're a mechanic, you're looking at someone's car, you're, you're like a plumber, you're looking at, so I'm like looking at people's incisions. She has an old exploratory laparotomy incision, which means she had an abdominal surgery at some point in her life, right? She runs past the finish line and she's screaming, I did it, I did it, I did it, I beat 24. She passed the finish line at 23 hours and 46 minutes. She's 65 year old lady. And I'm thinking to myself, who are these people? <laughs> Welcome to the ultra marathon world. Like, I'm like, she, she's 65. She had a previous X lap and she's running a, tw- a sub 24 hour, mar- hundred miler. I'm like totally blown away by this. I'm like, wow, I want to do this one day. I want to do something like this one day, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now you said in 2010, you, you were doing some research on running. That was kind of the first time that you started to run and put that into your routine. Yeah. That was the first time I ran 
dis- like longer distances. Prior to that, I never really ran. I ran I, when I was in college. I ran the 200 meter dash, the 400 meter dash, and I did like occasionally the 100 meter dash. Now, we, you know, one this, we're talking about like a quarter of a mile, right? Like that was my sprint in UC Irvine. So it, when I was at UC Irvine during the quarter mile, I mean, it was a quarter mile. So the longest I ever trained was like a half a mile, right? So I had never done long distance. I actually hated long distance. And what shoes are you wearing to run? So it has been a progression over that period of time of what I like to wear. But but basically since 2013, I have I, I wear the brand is called Altra, A-L-T-R-A, Altra. And the one I wear is called the Olympus. And I and the first time Altra Olympus came out back in 2012, I bought the first like Ultra Olympus version one. And since then they've had one, 1.5, two, 2.5. I've gone all the way now to 4.0. So this, this crazy race that I ran in April, I was wearing the Ultra Olympus 4.0 because I love those shoes so much that they basically become like my, my, like, I, I, I think I've burned through seven pairs of them by now. Wow. How long are they lasting for you? They're not the only shoe I run in because they are trail shoes. So I run in street shoes as well, which are, I wear, I wear a street ultra shoe as well. It's a different ultra shoe, but four to 500 miles per shoe. But sometimes I'll stretch it out to like 700 miles per shoe. Let's get to the, the hundred mile. What do you call this thing that you did in Zion? So it was the Zion 100 mile ultra marathon. It started in 2000. I think it started 2011. And it was, it's in amongst the, the, in Zion, Utah, there's a city called Virgin and Hurricane and, and Apple Valley. And they have these big mesas and these like, they're, they're like mesas are these like big, like, you know, boulders, rocks, where they're rock formations that are about 2000 feet high. And so they created a race. It was actually created by a guy named Matt Gunn and Matt Gunn created the race in 2011. He created his hundred mile course. So I ran the 100-kilometer version in 2013, uh, which is 62 miles when I was... And during that race, there was a 100-mile version also going on. I was like, one day I'm going to run this race. In 2021, years later, I, fi- I finally was able to go and do the 100-mile version of the Zion Ultramarathon. I, I, I'd literally been thinking about it in, <laughs> for like seven or seven years to do this Dude, race. Ed, you got there quick, man. You did, you did, you did a 60-mile like three years into doing these long marathons, that's quick. Well, actually, basically a year and a half to two years. It took a year and a half to, to get to get to the 62-mile distance. The first time I did the 100-kilometer run, I was not prepared for it. I had no clue about like fluid management and electrolyte management and all that stuff. Because when, when you're running 100 miles or 60 miles, when you're running for more than five to 10 hours, it's all about fluids, fluids, meaning like you, you can't just drink water. You have to you have to take in sodium and potassium, calcium and magnesium. If you're not taking in your electrolytes, your whole body is, just think about your body like a, like a like it's a well oiled machine. If there's no oil in the engine, it's gonna like shut down and, and the engine's gonna burn, right? So you cannot just like run all these hours without taking salt salt tablets and managing your electrolytes. And so that's what I learned in the process of doing 
along the years of running this and asking questions and Googling and going on pot, like listening to podcasts about ultramarathon running. And, you know, I evolved throughout the process. So when I ran that first ultramarathon, I was very uneducated about the process. You know, I was drinking water. And what's fascinating is as you're running the ultramarathon, you're like talking to people during the ultramarathon and they're like teaching you. <laughs> they're like, um, they're like, I'm like super nauseous. They're like, you need to take ginger. I'm like, okay, let me have some ginger. I'm like, whoa, that really helped. What'd you mention there? You said sodium, magnesium. Okay, so the number one thing is sodium and potassium, right? Because, you know, in your body, you have cells and your cells have a specific amount of sodium and potassium on the inside and the outside of it. So when you're running for many, many hours, you're sweating off all of that sodium, right? You're sweating it all off. So what happens is your sodium levels go dangerously low if you're not replenishing them, okay? So what you have to do is you have to take salt tablets in one form or another. You can chew them. There's these things you can buy at Whole Foods called uh, Nun tablets, N-U-U-N tablets. They have a good amount of sodium potassium in them. And you drop them. They're effervescent tablets, and they kind of like, they, they, they dissolve into your water, and you drink them. And what happens is you will restore your so- sodium and potassium requirements. Now, so one analogy I like to give about ultramarathon running, because I'm a, you know, I'm a surgeon, and as a surgeon, I did a lot of management of ICU patients. ICU patients are very, very ill, critically ill patients that are like very, you know, they're on a ventilator, they're not conscious. You have really sick people, right? So I have this analogy. I see an ultramarathon runner doing a, you know, more than a 60-mile race, is essentially a ICU patient because you need to monitor their their electrolytes, meaning their fluids, their electrolytes, meaning their sodium, their potassium. You need to monitor their calorie intake. You need to monitor their breathing, right? You, you literally need to monitor all these things for this like 12, 13, 24, 36-hour period to make sure that they can continue to function. Now, yeah, I mean, an ICU patient is very ill and it's not the same thing like that, but it's still, you need to monitor all of these like aspects of the human body to maintain that long of a distance. Those nun tablets that you mentioned, when would be a good time to use those nun tablets? So if you're going to run a, like a marathon, you know, like a 26 mile run and it takes you five or six hours, it depends on how fast you are. Some people take eight hours, some people take three hours, right? And you're drinking Gatorade, you know, or some kind of whatever they provide at the race, that's good enough. But in the event of like a long, long, long ultra marathons, you know, you, pr- you basically want to be on top of your electrolytes every hour or so, meaning like you're going to take one of those tablets every hour. So is that tablet specifically marketed for a marathon runner? No, no, not exactly. Because there are people who do long exercise, right? Some people exercise for an hour and a half straight, right? Or two hours straight. So whatever kind of exercise you do, right? So when you, when you buy a non-tablet, it has sodium and potassium and magnesium and, and all these different like good electrolytes. And people will drop one in their bottle, their, their like 18-ounce bottle or 20-ounce bottle, and they'll drink it during a very rigorous activity. And it's good. It's really good because you don't want to ever fall behind on your fluids. So the, again, let me reiterate something else. So, so I'm very um, careful and meticulous about things. So I'm a, as I said, I'm a vascular surgeon. And one of the types of patients I deal with are renal failure patients. So patients that, that are on dialysis. So when your kidneys have stopped functioning, completely stopped functioning, like they're, they're gone and they're never coming back, you need to be on something called dialysis. It's a very unfortunate, very frightening disease to have 
when you have renal failure. And I feel very, very, uh, and I help, I have a lot of, a lot of my patients have renal failure and I help them with that. So, so because of that, I'm acutely, acutely concerned about kidney health, right? I make, I want to make sure my kidneys are very well taken care of because I don't want to ever injure my kidneys. And so the, you want to make sure you take all your fluid because the kidneys are like basically the filter of your body, sort of. Like they, they help your, they help you manage your fluids. So if you don't have sodium and potassium, you will, you will injure your kidneys, right? If you don't drink enough water, you will injure your kidneys. So I, any, all of my friends that exercise and they drink and they do a lot of it, I say, I'm very, I tell them like, you need to take, you need to drink a lot of water. You need to take a lot of electrolytes and keep your kidneys healthy and well replenished. So what about taking those tablets for somebody who isn't working out? Is that still okay to take or no? Yes, absolutely. So it's in the fine. morning, if in the morning, you drop one of those in the morning in your 18 ounce bottle and drink it. That's okay. Yeah. It, drinking a Gatorade doesn't have as much sodium and potassium in it, but it has some. The thing is, the beautiful thing is your kidneys are a fine tuned machine, incredible, incredible machine that's capable of managing how much sodium and potassium you give your body, right? So if you drink, if you drop a nun tablet in a bottle and you drink it, like you drink the whole the bottle, it's good for you. You're getting your sodium, you're getting your potassium, you're getting fluid, and then your body will divvy up how much. Now, if you like 10 nun tablets and 10 bottles, that's dangerous. That's it. Anything in, in, in like too much of is very bad for your body. But like, you know, drinking one, taking a little bit of sodium or potassium is not bad. You know, it's good to do, to, to take in moderation. If you literally drink, five gallons of water, it would kill you, right? It would, it would literally kill you because you would, your sodium level would go so low that you would die. It's called hyponatremia, right? Severe hyponatremia. If you drank like buckets of salt, like salt, you would die also because you have hypernatremia. So you, it, it's just a fine, it's just a fine tune amounts, right? So you just need to be in moderation. Everything in moderation is good. You know? Yeah, agree. And plus, everybody knows their own body too. So you know what you're good at, what you can react at. That's how I feel. I feel like we all know our bodies. So if we put something in it and we're not feeling good about it, then we kick it out or don't do it as much. So back to the Zion yeah, Marathon. Run that, isn't that too much? <laughs> Hey, it's Mike. Don't be stingy. Let your friends and family know about the show. Share it. Tell a friend. And also take a couple minutes out of your day rather than scrolling through Instagram all day. Go on Apple Podcast and leave me a review and a five-star rating. It's easy. You search Mike Up Pod, write a review, and have a fill day. Let's get back to my conversation with Dr. Ed. You did 60 prior to this. Now you're doing 100. And this thing was for 36 hours. And it's like, it's night and day. So it's not like you go back to your hotel room and come back and run. This is a nonstop marathon. Tell us the reason why, not only because you wanted to hit this goal, but you did this to raise some money in Armenia too, right? So this was, this was a charity and the charity is called Oran, O-R-R-A-N, Oran. It's a, it's a charity in Armenia. And what happened was in 2015, I went to visit Armenia and there was a youth organization that I went to visit with my friend who actually sort of is very heavily involved in youth organization. And what it does is it helps lesser fortunate children and actually some elderly as well 
it's like a after school program and it provides food it provides this organization provides food clothing a little bit of shelter and it also teaches them tools to learn and how to like progress in life so you know it, it helps about 180 150 180 kids maybe 20, 50 60 adults like elderly what happened was like i went there i was totally inspired by this organization i was like one day i'm going to go do a long ultra marathon for the, I'm going to do a fundraiser for this for this cause, right? So I told my friend Sayat, who's Sayat Orjakjil, he's the he's the guy that you know you know brought part of this fundraiser, you know part of Oran, and I was like, let's do. I want to run my hundred miler in Zion for this for this or you know organization. He's like, okay, let's do it. So basically, we created this like website where you know it's, it's go rally. You 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 donate you know per mile. Some people you donate per mile, and we started we getting donations per mile. It's like, okay, Edward, if you run one if one dollar per mile, you get a hundred dollars, right? So people started donating to me, and then literally like about a week and a half before the race, Araxia Karpetian, she's like a anchor. She's like, we want to interview you for the race. I was like, oh my God, really? <laughs> You're going to interview me for this race? You know, okay, fine. So we did it. And it was, it was very, I was very, I felt very privileged that she actually was interested to interview me for this fundraiser and for this race. And also she tied in the fact that I was training while I was, you know, working in the pandemic, training, having a baby and, you know, with my wife. And so it was like kind of like a whole, it was an interesting story. So she, she did the story and that also helped the fundraiser. So we, so basically the race was April 10th in Zion, Utah, and I ran the whole race, 100 miles, and it was 34 hours and 36 minutes, and we rose nearly $50,000. Wow. It wasn't $50,000, it was $150,000, yeah. So, and during the race, it's ups and downs, right? You're climbing, right? You're climbing mountains. So, so the total elevation gain was about 11,000 feet. Which is basically think about this: you're climbing one third of Mount Everest, right? Because Mount Everest is twenty nine thousand feet. This is one third of Mount Everest. So eleven thousand foot gain over one hundred miles, and so the race, the cutoff is thirty six hours. So you cannot run more if you if you come in thirty six hours and two seconds, you you do not get a finisher uh, award. You do not, and, and it, it, the finishing award is a belt buckle. You're like, wait, a belt buckle? I'm like, yeah, it's a belt buckle. <laughs> okay. So I'm very excited about my belt buckle. So, so <laughs> do you wear it every day? Do you wear it to work? Uh, I do. I, I, I may, yeah. I actually kind of do wear it to work. <laughs> okay. So, so basically, the race starts at, uh, at 5 a.m. And we take off. So something unfortunate happened during the race. I, I, was, I got food poisoning during the race. And I wonder really why. I mean, who's, whose idea was it to have Mexican food the night before? Well, it wasn't. I, I wouldn't say it was a Mexican food totally. <laughs> But yeah, that was a bad idea. But but the the thing is, my my aunt made me something called date balls, and date balls are these crushed up these it was crushed dates with coconut milk and almond milk. And usually she makes it for me. I put it in the refrigerator and use it the next day. But because it was a three day trek all the way out to Zion, Utah, we it, it got it, it was like in the car and it got rotten in the car. I was sitting in the hot sun for three days. I didn't think of that because there's so many things you're juggling. You know, something always goes wrong, right? Like every one of these races, is something. Sometimes my knees are hurting, my back is hurting. You know, this hurting, that hurting. But in this scenario, I got food poisoning. So I start eating these date balls from miles zero to twenty-five. Right? I'm just like, and they're in a plastic bag, and they kind of all melted together. And I'm just like chewing on them. You <laughs> one know? big, one big ball. One big ball, just cr- just biting right into it, and then I. <laughs> I get to uh, mile, so at mile 25, 
my friend Alex Tima, he comes and he joins me to support me. He's a pacer, okay? He comes on um, mile 25 and he's going to run with me to mile 80, okay? He's going to run. He's going to pace me for 55 miles, okay? So Alex Tima joins me at mile 25. So I'm like, hey, Alex, what's up, bro? We're so excited. Let's do this, you know? So we start running. We get to mile 28 and I'm like, What's going on with my stomach? Oh my goodness. This is really the, I start vomiting. Okay. So we, we keep running. We're running. I'm like, Alex, my stomach is killing me. So basically from mile like 30 to mile 60, I was like vomiting and nauseous. It was horrible, but I just kept moving forward, you know, one foot in front of the other. And then once the sun went down, my nausea got better. Hmm. Way better. What was the weather like? Hot? Oh yeah. It was like, it was like 80 degrees. Now it was, it's crazy because this race is supposed to be a cold race. And so when I, when I ran the same race in 2013, or not the same distance, but the same like race, like the, the lower distance, but the same location, it was like 60 degrees during the day, 58 degrees. It's like 82 degrees, 82 degrees. It's crazy how hot it was. So we get to mile 80 and Alex leaves me, which he was incredible. He was, he literally, he helped me so much with all this, you know, with all the nausea and the difficulty I had with the race. And so then my friend Steve joins me at mile 80. So Steve is my very good friend, childhood friend from high school, from junior high, way back in the day. And Steve, he ran the 30 miler the day before. And this is his first race ever. So he came and he joined me from 80 to 100. And it was, it was a very incredible, like, nostalgic event, having Steve bring me in the last 20 miles, you know? We passed the finish line and it was a huge celebration. It was, a, it was wonderful. So. Man, that's, that is super cool, man. And 50K to that organization, $50,000 you, you, you raised though, right? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 50K, yeah. 50, yeah. And, you know, 50K, yeah. and Ed, you know for a fact that that money went straight to that organization? Absolutely. Okay, so I am very skeptical of a lot of these uh, you know, fundraisers. And so Oran, it was started by Armina Hovanesian. And Armina Hovanesian is is uh, married to Rafi Hovanesian, who is the foreign minister in Armenia. And his dad is actually a famous professor uh, in UCLA. And so basically, Armina started this organization. I, we know her personally. I know her personally. I mean, we I, I, when I went to visit Armenia, we, we slept at our, we slept at, our, at Armina and Rafi's house. This organization is run like well-oiled machine. There's a, there's a gentleman named Mr. Krikorian who's in, U, in the UK. He's a, bit, he's, a, he's a very wealthy man. And every year they have a fundraiser and a meeting in Los Angeles. And I go to that. And it's like a big fundraiser. And he does a one-and-a-half-hour presentation in detail, itemizing every penny and where it's going. Right. So even if the money goes to the kids, some of these sometimes, you know, organizations have very high administrative fees, not with this organization. The money goes to the children, to their books, to their clothes, to the food. Right. So he goes itemizes every dime of where it's going and a very reputable big four, you know, accounting firm audits everything. So I was very excited that and passionate because I know the money is going to the kids. It's going directly to the kids and going to the organization and it benefits them. So that's why I felt so strongly about doing it for this organization because it's like, you know, you know, the money is where it's specifically it's good going, hands. right? Yeah. And, and this, yeah. And this and organization like is Oran? It's called Oran. Yeah. O-R-R-A-N. Where can people donate today if they want to? So there's a website called 
It's O-R-R-A-N dot A-M, like Armenia A-M, and it has a website. You could donate right on the website. It's a wonderful organization because they, it actually teaches the kids skills to uh, to gr- move on in their lives, like oh, it's woodworking beautiful. or it's plumbing or whatever. Yeah. And, and, that, and I actually went there and saw it. I actually went to Armenia and saw it. I went to the facility. I saw the kids. I, it, it, it was it, incredible i can't wait to go back super 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 cool and it's super good to know about this organization i've never heard of it and it's good to know where it's going and i and i trust you and your friends and those who are a part of it so it's good to know that we have something like this that we know exactly where those funds are going because there were some really bad uh, horror stories and rumors about when the time when armenia was in war with azerbaijan and and there were some bad horror stories there so i'm really happy to hear this man yeah we got to get the word out and spread the word about this one and, and actually actually some of the kids are actually uh refugees from artsakh mm. that are being benefiting from this from this organization so yeah so, so there was like maybe out of the 160 or 70 kids I think, like, I think, I suspect what, what Armin Estorda told me, but not to, to maybe 30 or 40 of them were, are, are coming from Artsakh as well. So what happens is they, they got hit. So a lot of the Artsakh citizens got very heavily displaced, right, from the war. And so Oran absorbed some of them. Not all, obviously not all of them, but some, at least they absorbed some of them, whatever they can. So that, that was very nice. And that, that I felt like, you know, that was a nice contribution. Absolutely, man. It's beautiful. How many people compete in this race? 277 people signed up for the race. 260 started the race and 163 finished the race. So that's like 97 people didn't finish the race. And because, you know, it's a very hard race and along the 100 miles, people will just say, you know, like they stop running. Now, that's the way it goes. You know, you, you know, there have been races I went to and I didn't finish, right? It happens. So you go to a race and you just, you, you, it's called a DNF. You did not finish. And so this race, there was no option for me to DNF. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> because, yeah. You had too many people relying no, on you. Exactly. There was no way. So when the nausea kicked in and the vomiting happened, I was like, wow, this is the last thing I needed right now. <laughs> <laughs> How many times did your brain tell you to give up? Um, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, there was one part of the race, it was hot sun. I was climbing up the asphalt for around mile 42 and I'm like really in pain. And so Courtney DeWalter, she's a really famous ultra runner, the best of the best elite girl, you know, and she calls it the pain cave, pain cave. So you enter the pain cave and you're just like this extreme amount of pain. You're like, just everything hurts. You're really down on yourself. And you think like, my God, like I can't go on, you know, but you just like, don't give yourself an option to not quit, to quit. You just, you just like, you just rationalize to yourself. Just don't quit. Right. Just don't quit. Like just, just one step in front. And then you do these mind tricks. When I'm at mile 47, I don't think I have 53 miles to go. I don't think that. I think my next aid station is in three miles. Right. I just get to get to the aid station, drink some water, right? Like eat some carbohydrates, get some top and ramen noodles, right? Take a five, six minute break. And just, you know, like, you don't, if you think to yourself 53 miles to go, it's going to kill your brain, right? You can't do that. So, so I don't, and then uh, David Goggin, he talks about like callousing your mind, callousing your mind, meaning like, you know, the more of these I've done, the more my brain has evolved to tolerate the pain, right? So when I when I saw that lady, 
remember I told you the story how that, that 65-year-old lady passed the finish line at 100 miles and she, she ran 23 hours and 46 minutes? And I'm this guy who's never run an ultramarathon and I watch her. I'm like enamored. I'm like, how? how? And when I ran that, when, then when I went and ran 31 miles that day, I, the last four miles, I, I don't even know how I finished it. I passed the finish line. I was like, I'm never doing this again. And I can't even imagine how I did the last four miles, let alone another 60, right? So you, what happens is, like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Mike, you could run a hundred miler. You, you can run a hundred miler, but you have to want to gradually train your brain and your body to want to do it. Cause remember I told you in 2010, I was running a mile, a mile, less than a mile. Right. So it's like, it's like, how much do you want to train your brain and your body to put now th- what we're talking about running a hundred miles is extreme, right? It's a very extreme scenario. Obviously that's like, and and some would argue it's not like very good for you to do that, right? It's not healthy, <laughs> right? So the point is like you could you you it doesn't have to specifically be a hundred miles. It could be like ten miles or five miles, right? Or even three miles or any amount of miles or any physical activity, right? You know, it's just a matter of like gradually building yourself into tolerating discomfort well it's a good life lesson too that's a good life lesson too it's not just about running but it's about a goal so if you're putting your mind to make sure that your goal your mind is telling you that i'm going to reach that goal i'm not going to get there tomorrow but i'm gonna eventually get there and that's what you did it's a mind building yeah it took years yeah what's the next challenge for you are there any other races that that are on your list well there's a lot of races i'd like to run to me the challenge in this situation was not specifically running the race what the day of the race is not the challenge it's the six months up to the race training for the race is the bigger challenge right because because anybody could sign up for a race and just try it right but if you really want to finish you have to prepare right so like it was extremely difficult to be a full-time vascular surgeon, have a baby in the house and be a husband and, you know, manage my household. And at the same time, train for this race. So like basically, you know, I would go to work and I'd wake up in the morning, you know, change the baby. And then Laura would, you know, would, would stay another hour at home before she goes to work. And then our nanny comes and I come work like later on five, five, six, whatever o'clock. And I changed, I play with Ethan, his name's Ethan. I, cha- I play with Ethan and then shower him and then Laura puts him to bed. And then I, I, I spend time with my wife. She goes to bed and then I go on my training, right? I go run an hour or two at like eight or nine o'clock at night because that's literally the only opportunity I have, right? That's the only time I, I can allot myself to, be, to train for this race because I cannot, I cannot uh, disrupt my family's life because I'm training for a race, right? So to answer that question, what is my next goal? I would love to run another race, but the amount of, even though I did my training at nighttime and early in the morning on the weekends, trying not to disrupt my family, it was very challenging managing all this. Yes, I would love to run. There's a few other hundred milers. I would love to. And now that I learned that I can actually do these races, I would love to do a few of these races. And actually, to tell you the truth, don't tell my wife. She'll kill me if I said this, (laughs) but I would love to do the Moab. (laughs) The what? The Moab 240, but don't don't tell her I said that to you. <laughs> <laughs> what what does that entail? What is that exactly? It's a 240 mile race in Moab, Utah. It's the one that David Goggins took second place in, and 
it's basically you're running, you're running, but you know, you, you could take a nap, you know, but you're basically going to be running for like 80 hours, 85 hours. Yeah. So it's insanity. It's pure insanity. But I mean, do you understand that like these, the runners in these races are in their mid forties, late forties, early fifties, mid fifties, sixties. There's even a 74 year old lady finished, uh, like the, the Zion 100. Right. So, so there's like, this race goes like all ages do these races. So I'm 40 years old. So I look at it like, you know, if in five, six years, if, if I find time in my life to do another one of these races, it'd be great. I, I'd love to. So, yeah. What did your body feel like once you were done? I actually didn't feel that bad, uh, except for the nausea, which was still lingering. Usually my legs are very bad, like bad. My knees and my legs hurt very badly, but this time it didn't feel that bad. We actually went to the hotel. I was up for 36 hours. I went to the hotel. I slept one hour. Okay, one hour. And then we went to a steak dinner after. Because <laughs> you're amped. I, I mean, I had been eating the whole time. So it wasn't like I was malnourished. But it, like at mile, like, I don't know, 60, like the day before, I called my wife. I was like, Lara, you make reservations to a steak restaurant on Sunday night because I want to go to steak dinner. She goes, you're going to be dead. You're going to be sleeping. I'm like, I'll take a one hour nap and we're going to steak dinner. I want to have a steak. How good did that steak? <laughs> oh Taste. my goodness. <laughs> Dude. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? There was, there's a, there's a, like, uh, I wish I could remember the name of the steak restaurant, but it was a, a very nice, like mom and pop steak restaurant in, in Zion, Utah. And it was, it, they had their own like cuts of the steak out. And, you know, I had like a nice porterhouse. I think it was a pound, a pound of, a pound, you know, steak. <laughs> and I had a glass of wine. It was, oh, it was, great. It was and it never, it tasted so, like the salt, I could taste the salt <laughs> oh, of the steak. It so just good. hit the spot. It was incredible. It was absolutely, I still think about that dinner till now, you know? Yeah. Did your wife go with you guys? She traveled with you guys in the car? You guys drove there, right? Oh, yeah. So I took my 11-month-old baby, Ethan, my wife, and my cousin, Christina, who was helping my wife, and about 25 other people came. My mom, my aunt, her, you know, my uncle, like the whole fa- like the whole family. Man, Everybody so came. Armenian. So we're, we're so Armenian, yeah. man. <laughs> I love it. Man. I love it. Okay, I'm Mike, surprised you didn't Mike, have a band. Mike, 10 of my high school, I'm 40 years old. 10 of my high school friends were at the finish line. <laughs> Dude, that is so awesome. <laughs> Tell me you're Armenian without telling me you're Armenian, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love so, it. My friend Coco was having his 40th birthday party at the same time. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go to Utah and have my party and we'll all meet you at the finish line. So he, they all came to the finish line. And then I mean, it's, it's funny. I, I made a joke. I wish when I passed the finish line, I did an Armenian dance, but I didn't think of it. I should have. You know, so. <laughs> they would have thrown money. Shabash. Yeah, it would have been good. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> how, how long did it take you until you ran again after that race? A week and a half. Okay. So you, how long was your body sore for? I was really sore for about three days. Okay. About three days, I was pretty sore. You know, you mentioned something that's very important here, that you didn't just travel to Utah to do a marathon. You didn't use your legs to finish 100 miles this whole thing is a mind over matter thing. There's 97 people who didn't finish. And so it's, this is a mental game, man. This is a mental game. And if you can't get over that hurdle of your body is going to tell you 
that I want to stop. I don't want to continue because I'm hurting. But when you make a deal with yourself and your body, it's non-negotiable. And a lot of people yeah. don't get that. They don't understand that. There's no negotiating here, man. We're finishing this thing. And I've got kids on the line that I'm going to help get through. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through this line because of this. How much of that did you learn? Like this marathon is going to teach you things that you probably haven't learned in the past about yourself. What did this teach you? What did you learn about yourself? That is a, that's a, oh my God, that is such an incredible insight you have right there. Wow. Yeah. It's like weird because, so I feel like the best training I had for this race was not actually running. It was doing five years of general surgery and two years of vascular surgery fellowship, right? Like I trained for seven. So when I graduated medical school, it took seven years of training before I became a full on vascular surgeon, right? So I spent seven years in training. So, you know, you just think about that, like how, how like annoying is that, right? How difficult, like you, you're not really, you're, you're like literally school for 15 years, right? So, so you, you can't give up. And the point is that when I went out there, and I felt like that, that training gave me the capability of the point that David Goggins brings up about the callous mind that no matter how much I was vomiting and uncomfortable, there was like no option. There was no, and, 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 and you know, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. So when I really started feeling bad at mile 30, 35, 36, I was really nauseous. I mean, I was like so nauseous. I was so uncomfortable. My legs felt good. And I was like, how am I going to do this? Because let me tell you something. I've run, I've run about eight of these, right? And I've never had a stomach issue before, right? And so I did a 50-mile training run on a weekend, and I didn't even eat anything. I had a donut, right? So it's like, it's like, and I had no stomach issues. I was on my podcast, and I was on talking to my friends on the phone. Doing, mile 35 to start having stomach issues is like very abnormal for me, right? Very abnormal. It was atypical. So when that happened, I was like, I, I kind of felt like really scared, you know, I was like scared. I was like, am I not going to finish this? Like I was on Good Day LA. There's a huge fundraiser. There's at least like, I don't know, hundreds of people, maybe a thousand people following me live because I had a live beacon on me. Right. Am I going to like not finish this? And am I going to quit? You know what I thought to myself? And I looked at Alex. I was like, Alex. You know, there's like absolutely, no matter how bad it gets, there's no way I could quit this, right? I have to, I have to just finish, right? And I said to him, I was like, Alex, Alex, the only way I don't finish this is if I pass out. You have to record it. You record me passing out, okay? <laughs> for proof, for proof. <laughs> proof, exactly. I'm, like, you know, I'm not, so what happened, I was like, the way I rationalized it in my brain was this. I said, I am not going to think about how much, how many, how many miles and how many hours I have, have ahead of me. All I'm going to think about is, okay, I have nausea. I don't feel good. I'm going to literally take it one step at a time, one step at a time. And I go, okay, as long as I can drink a little bit of water to keep my, keep myself like hydrated and take my salt tablets, I'm just going to like move forward step by step. There's no guarantee in life, right? There's no guarantee. Who knows what would have happened, right? But I was like, you know, I'm just going to do it, right? So then when I was going at 35, 30, 40, 41, this guy looked at me. He was on the side of the road. He looked at me, and I looked at him, and he was sitting there, and, and I passed him. And then mile 48, I saw him, and he looked at me. I saw him, and he's like, dude, I thought you were toast. I thought you were done. You looked like you were game over. 
you look like you came back from the dead now. You know, that's what he said to me about 48. So then I'm running down the mountain, a mile 48, 9.50, and I bump it, and I'm talking to this guy, and he goes, dude, you don't look so good. He's like, he's like, I have ginger tablets, and I have a ginger uh, beer. Now, it's not alcoholic beer. It's, it's called the ginger beer. It's sparkling, like, ginger beer, right? And he's like, uh, he's like, this is, like, going to help you. He gave it to me. He, this is what's so amazing about ultramarathons. He gave it to me. And then, so, you got to look at it like this. It's all about small wins, right? It's not a big win, right? So I'm, I'm mile 36. I'm feeling terrible. And then mile 37, I'm really in bad shape and I vomit. And when I vomit, I felt a little bit better. I was like, okay, okay. You know, and my legs are feeling a bit better. And then there's a little bit, there's a little bit of shade. I'm like, okay, the shade helped. And there's a little bit of downhill running. Okay. The downhill's nice. Okay. My legs feel good. You think about the positive things. Don't focus on the negative. And then that fleeting thought in my head where, oh my God, is my race over? Am I going to DNF? Am I going to dis- disappoint everybody? Right. It's slowly going away from me. You know, it's slowly separating from my, my, my brain. It's going away. It's more of a distant thought now. It's not like right in my head. Right. And then it starts to get cool. The, the temperature goes from 80 to like 70, 69. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a little better. Right. We're running down the mountain. Alex is like, Ed, you're looking a little bit better. You're, you're, you know, you look a little bit better. We get to mile 51.88 station. Syed is there. He has a subway sandwich for me. He has cucumber Gatorade and sparkling water, ice cold sparkling water. I demolished all of that. I was like, my, my, <laughs> my mood, my spirit, how happy I felt about myself. It went from like horrible to like, so I went from like a nine out of 10 feeling bad to like 1.5. So I left the pain cave, you know? So you feel like if you didn't have all that pressure from everybody and the 500 Armenians waiting for you at the finish line, <laughs> you, you feel like you wouldn't have finished if every, let's just say you knew about it. Nobody else but you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, would I have put my body through that much stress if, there was nothing riding on it. I don't know. I can't answer that question because I'm not in that position. But in that position, there was no option to quit. There was just none. There was like Yeah. And now do you have the feeling when you finished, do you have the feeling of I can accomplish anything in life? Forget about marathons. I can accomplish anything if I if I went through this. Yeah. It definitely boosted my my confidence in a lot of ways. And I've been through a lot of stressors. I feel like I've been through a lot of stressors, whether it be with like my job as a surgeon and my family life, my financial life, all these different parts of my life, you know, and this was definitely a massive, massive learning lesson. Because think about, just think about this, right? If I didn't eat those date balls and I didn't get the GI upset, my stomach upset during this race, right? It would have been a totally different story, right? I mean, maybe I would have finished three, four hours quicker, right? You know, 31 hours to 30, who knows, right? But again, I don't actually care that much about the time. It would have been nice to finish early. But the point is, I finished before 36, right? So I I finished at 34 hours. It was great, right? But the point is, like, it was such a different experience because I had such a massive, painful, annoying hurdle to go through. So in a way, I'm actually appreciative it happened. Even though it it was miserable, it, it, it added a little bit of a flavor to the story. You know, Ed, it's life. Like, you ran 100 miles. Let's say you, you live for 100 years. Throughout your years in life at mile 35, you're 35 years old. And guess what? Life isn't perfect. 
we're all going to go through something. And those are the hurdles you were going through in this race. Same in life. We're going to go through stuff. How do we get through it? We're not going to just quit, get in the car and go home. You pushed, man. You had perseverance and you made sure you were going to finish this thing because you had so much writing on it. And not only for all of those kids that you're now helping in Armenia, yourself too. You did it for yourself and you're helping yourself. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you, man. I've, we're strangers, you you know, we're, we're friends now and we're going to keep in touch, but I am really proud of you. And I, I want to thank thank you you on behalf of all the Armenians all over the world for what you did, because if it wasn't for you, they don't have those funds and it doesn't take care of those kids. And it puts a smile on my face thinking about those kids and you taking care of them. So it's beautiful, man. Ed, I can't, I can't thank you enough for doing that. No, yeah, thank you. And also, I'm I'm very thankful that you had me on the podcast to talk to me. And I've never really done a podcast of this caliber and, and been able to talk. And I've, I've always thought to myself, like, how cool would it be? You know, because a lot of what I do when I run when I run is I listen to podcasts. And now I get to actually be on one, right? <laughs> You're going to listen to this one for the next 36 hours. It's awesome. Exactly. I can, I can just listen to it over and over again. <laughs> you know, man, I'm going to get so many hits on this. This is great. Our rating's going to go sky up now. <laughs> well how'd you how'd you like it how'd you like your first podcast good experience oh oh wow i love it i, I hope you have me back on one day. and next time i'm gonna drive down to you and we're gonna do it live hell yeah hell okay? yeah let's do it absolutely man. let's do it because that would be so fun i mean we'd sit down you know like we could you know have a have a glass of wine and or whatever have a pepsi or whatever you like and a big fat <laughs> steak with some salt <laughs> exactly 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 Yeah, fun fact for me, no soda for me, Dr. Ed. I'll take a bottle of wine, though. (laughs) I haven't had soda since 2000. That was my last time I had soda, believe it or not. Crazy story. I mean, there were times when I would have like two Sprites before my dinners. Lunch is ah, actually both. Yeah, lunches and dinners. And I couldn't finish my meals. And so I would always feel so full. And I love food so much where... I was full because of the Sprites that I was drinking. I was a big Sprite guy. I love Sprite. So I drink my Sprite. I figured it was clear. It's not dark, so it's better for you. Young and dumb. So I'd finish my Sprites, two of them, and then I'd get into my meal and I'd demolish my meal, but I was full and I was forcing myself to eat it. And every time I finished, I wanted to puke my brains out because I was so full. So I said, how about I get rid of the soda thing and I go strictly to water? And I've been drinking water for 20 straight years. Like the first two weeks, I remember I lost 10 pounds immediately. So I'm telling you, if you're a soda drinker, you drop that soda, you'll lose it quick. And you'll feel so much better. I know the fizz feels good in the back of your throat. I know it goes good with the burger and all that stuff. But man, you replace Coke with water it's game changing so think about that back to dr ed my conversation it was a lot of fun he's passionate he's fun to talk to he's upbeat he's a positive guy it's just one of those guys that goes to work and saves lives and then on top of that he decides to run 100 miles in 36 hours for charity and he gets a belt out of it how about that seriously though it's stories like this is the reason why i started this whole thing and uh, I, I'm thankful for the platform. I get to meet people like this. I get to network with them. I have great conversations with them. I learn about them and their experiences. And it's just cool, man. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. So 
I love that he came on and he talked about it and open about it and how much fun he had doing the race and talking to me and it's super cool and it's super cool that you guys take the day out to um, listen to to the podcast thank you so much if you have a couple minutes again get on Apple podcast and write a review and give it a five-star rating it helps us in terms of ranking so again thank you for making me a part of your day folks I am Mike Gabriel if you can follow me on Instagram that's where most of the content goes nowadays and then follow the podcast on spotify apple or wherever you listen to your podcast wherever you listen to this podcast stupid comments so wherever you listen to it you can easily hit that follow button and follow the show and get the new episodes and i've got 54 others that you can listen to they're all interesting that's the best part i haven't had an episode actually one with dustin penner when he played for the kings and the ducks that was the only one because I, I wanted to talk about conspiracy theories and these are for my new listeners and I thought we were coming on to talk about conspiracy theories and this dude was like can I just go it's <laughs> basically what he told me so we cut the thing short it was one of the most awkward interviews I've ever done I haven't done a lot but it, it was absolutely the most awkward interview I've ever done conversation I like to call them and uh, maybe in podcast history so if you want to go back and, and you want to see how bad I am, you can go back to that Dustin Penner episode. I don't know what number it is, but you can find it. It's Dustin Penner, 20-something, 30-something, something like that. But again, thank you. Again, I am Mike Gabriel. This is Mike the Pod. Until next time, folks, no wasted days. Let's go. Let's go.